we are in, if, you're, if you've been with us at, at all, we've been going through First Peter. Went through the first chapter. We just rushed right through it. We went through the first chapter. and We are now in chapter 2. And we spoke of verses 9 and 10 last week, but I really didn't get into verses 9 and 10 as Peter, I think, would want us to be. And so we're going to go back into those two verses. Not that... <clears throat> the reason is, is because everything of, of your life and my life as a believer is wrapped up into the promises that Peter gives us as believers in Jesus Christ in verses 9 and 10. And I want you to have a, a, grasp, a grasp, I should say, on what is, what is the purpose of your life. To me, I think if a, if, a, if a person kind of figures out, what is my purpose as a believer in Jesus Christ? Why, why am I here? On the, what am I to do? There's so much sometimes to figure out. What do we do? What do I do to, to be the person that God's called me to be? I want you to hear what Peter has to say to us. And I think you're going to find out, as all of us find out, when we study through the Bible as we do, is that, that it's wide open, the 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 venture that you have in front of you, the, the things that are going to come your way as a believer in Christ, I want you to know that that, uh, that is a choice that you'll be able to make on your own. That is a decision that, that God will, will bring to fruition to your life. It will bring it to a place where you'll understand so clearly that all the other things that you don't do will not bother you so much because you'll know what your purpose is. I really pray for that for you. Um, I do. I pray that for you with all of my heart. Uh, one of the things that I'm saddest about, this is going to mention, this is going to be into that. One of the things that I'm saddest about, about the church as a whole, not our church, but the church as a whole, is that we become apathetic. Uh, the church has become um, leadership, uh, pastors, um, <clears throat> vying for position, uh, vying for this, that, or the other. And, and instead of, of collectively coming together to be a force for the cause of Jesus Christ on this world in which we live, there, there, is, there is a call in your life and my life that we would, be, uh, we would reign. We would absolutely reign with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing through our veins, through the Holy Spirit. And there is no reason that we should have to be uh, begging for anything as a group of, of people, as churches. We have the power of God, but we've relinquished that. And I think today you'll see some of that. And maybe that is true in your life. And if it is, maybe the Lord will speak to you in, this, in the behalf of that. And, and what is your call? What is the purpose as you as a, a believer in Jesus Christ? For those of you who are here investigating, just wondering about this thing called faith. Uh, something's drawn you here. Don't know what for sure. Don't care. want you to hear, though. want you to listen. I want you to understand that there's nothing here that we want from you. We want to give you the Savior. want you to understand who He is so that when and you make a decision for Him into your heart, you understand what it is you're doing, why, why you've made this decision, because most of us here understand that now. We understand that we have been called for a purpose in our life and, and we are just trying to fulfill that purpose as we go our way. So what I want from this message, if, if you will allow me to tell you what I want and then we'll listen to what Peter has to say. 
what I want is, is for you and me to really grasp a hold of the wonders that we have in Christ. The promises in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, are monumental. They're absolutely life-changing if you can understand, if we can understand them. And so I want to try and teach it in that fashion. But what I'm going to ask to do is what I do every week, and that is that I get out of the way. I want Peter to teach us. Actually, what I want is the Holy Spirit of God to teach us what is, is, is important for us as, as, as believers in Christ. And again, for those of you that don't know Him, I want you to see the wonderful value of knowing Christ. Here's how it starts. Take a look at verse 8 just for a moment. Just a review. A simple review. It says in verse 8, this one called Christ became a a stone of stumbling, a a rock of offense. That's, That's talking about Jesus Christ. They stumbled because they were disobedient to the Word. The, the very Word of God that we try to teach here, if you, if you look up, it's, it's this. This is everything to us as a, as a church. The, the denomination, we aren't one. Uh, uh, our, our rules and regulations, we have hardly any. We just want to follow what the Lord is trying to teach us out of the Word of God. And so they became disobedient to the Word. And then it goes on to say, And to this doom, to this doom they were appointed... Well, verse 9 begins to the other side of that coin. But you, Peter writes, talking about those of us who have trusted in Christ. Now, please read with me verses 9 and 10, and let's bring some sense to what Peter is saying. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Reason? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Verse 10, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I entitled this message, and I'm not one to pick out titles. I don't particularly care about that so much. And so normally what I do, if you've watched it all, is I pick out a few words in the text that we're studying and throw it up as a title. But in this one, the title is Mercy. I think it's one of the most important words that you can understand. There's two sides, as we're going to learn in a moment, to the word mercy. There's God's general mercy, which, which flows on all of mankind, And then there is God's divine mercy that flows in the hearts of those who have trusted in Him. And because of God's mercy, many people are misunderstanding the very essence of who you and I know and love as our Savior. They feel content. They almost can shake their fist in the the face of God, so to speak, and say, nothing's going to happen to me. And even if I go to hell, what's the big deal? We've got to teach them what the big deal is. You and I have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. It's critical for you and me to understand that. Now, the way you go about that will be entirely different perhaps than the way I might go about it or, or someone else might go about it, even within your own family. 
it doesn't mean that all of us have to be a, a out on a street corner shouting, return, you know, repent, you know, you're going to hell. We don't have to do that. We, 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 you can if, you, if you're called to it, but you don't have to. You can just be kind to people. Just, just offer them the very essence and the love of God and, and, and let, let God move in your life and through your life into the lives of those you come in contact with. There's no real, there's no um, agenda. There's no uh, uh, formula. It's just what God has asked you to do. But what you need to understand is what has He asked you to do? Critical. Really critical. Peter answers. Let's pray. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that flow from Your Word and Father, would you move me aside so that I do not in any way, shape, or form disrupt what you want to say to us through the written word, through Peter, who is faithful to write these things down. And so, Father, teach us. We come to you in the name of the, the name which is above all names. We come to you in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Take a closer look at, at, at what is promised us. I, I want to look at verse 9. We're going to take a look at, at the very things that Peter mentions that we are. This is, we are called, in verse 9, a chosen race. Now, we spoke of that last week. Like Israel, the church is also chosen by God. In this choice that God makes, both Israel and the church, you and me, believers, are called, we are chosen for a very specific purpose. Let's go back to the original call. It came to Abram. It was before God changed Abram's name to Abraham. He called him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And he said, Abram, I want you to go forth from your country. I want you to go forth from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. It's very interesting. When God called Abram, this is, that was Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. When God called Abram, he didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, I want you to go forth from your relatives, your father's house, from your land, to a land that I am going to show you. You talk about faith. You talk about the very essence of being called. Abram had no idea where he was going. Yet he said, yes, Lord. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. Verse 2, watch. Then God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I'm going to bless those who bless you. The ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that was Abram's call. That was the call to the nation Israel. Go into all the families of the earth and, and, and make them a blessing. Teach them about the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and, Isaac and Jacob. Teach them about the God of, of, of this universe. Now, you need to know that Israel fell short on that call by God. All the families of the earth, earth were, were not reached. In fact, for the most part, Israel fell short by miles. 
They even separated themselves from the Gentiles. They, they called the Gentiles dogs. They wouldn't invite a Gentile even into their home. You talk about trying to bless them and, and, and pushing them away. That's what Israel did. God called them for a specific purpose. What about you and me? Let's, let's boil it down to us today. What is our specific call in life? We've received the blessings from the Lord and we are told in verse 9 we have a specific call and that is that we could proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into light. That's a call. That's a purpose you have in life. When Jesus told His followers in Matthew, excuse me, yeah, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, you know these verses. He said, Jesus said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Go, therefore, he said to them, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, he said, to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Our call is much like the nation of Israel. That is to go and, and tell people and, and bless them, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to go and tell the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into light. That's our call. We are chosen for that purpose. Secondly, verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2. We are called a royal priesthood. This statement comes out of the Old Testament, out of Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And also, he says, a holy nation. We'll talk about that next. Kingdom of priests. The sad fact, though, is this. Israel forfeited the privilege of priestly dominion because she rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when He came. It is said of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 11, He came, Jesus, came into His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. They rejected Him. On the other hand, for those of us who embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, who believe in Him, trust in Him alone for our salvation, trust in Him for the the, re the removal of our sin, the forgiveness of our sin, the privilege of being called royal priests are ours. In the New Testament, the book of Revelation, when all authority is being handed over from God the Father to God the Son, it says in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, 6th through the 10th verse, listen to this. John is speaking. John's up there watching this whole scene unfold. He says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. The elders is us, the church. We're there watching all of this. A lamb standing as if slain. That's talking, of course, about Jesus. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. That's, that's too much to even try to explain, but that's, that's a picture that John saw of Jesus Christ standing there. And then John says in verse 7, Jesus came and took the book out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. In other words, Jesus Christ walked up to the throne, walked up to His Father, God the Father, and reached out His hand, and God the Father gave Him the book, and He took the book out of His Father's hand. 
when, it says in verse 8, Jesus took the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that's us, the church, we all fell down before the Lamb. That's, of course, Jesus. Each one of us were holding a harp, it says, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And we sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain, and you had purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Verse 10 is what I wanted to get to. told you all of that just for verse 10. You, it says to Jesus, have made them, us, those who trust and believe in Him, to be a kingdom and priests. We are priests. And we will reign upon this earth. Sadly, we have given up this this authority we have as believers. We become watered down as a group of people. I'm not talking about us. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about Christianity as a whole. We need to rise up and and claim what is rightfully ours. No, really, rightfully is. And live for Him. Live like we belong. The two primary elements that constitute a picture of royal priesthood is one, we serve the Lord our God. Secondly, we reign with the Lord our God. In Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30, Jesus told His followers these words. Listen. Just as my Father has granted me, Jesus said, a kingdom, I grant to you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So what we see so far is that we have a people that were chosen, chosen for a purpose, chosen to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord to whomever we can, in whatever fashion you deem it best for you. Secondly, after we become a chosen race, we have also, we have also become a, a royal priesthood. That is, we, are, we, are, we draw breath to serve and to reign with the King of Kings. Thirdly, perhaps the most important, we are a holy nation. To understand the thrust of that statement, you need to know that Peter was referring to the Old Testament Scripture to support the privileges that God has granted to all people who have trusted in Him. He says, in, remember we read out of Exodus 19.6, when it says you are a kingdom of priests, we are also, it says in 19.6, a holy nation. When, when Peter declares that we, as a body of believers, are a holy nation of people, that carries this thought. Nation translates E-T-H-N-O-S in the Greek. It means people, a group or a, a multitude of people. That's the nation. Holy is H-A-G-I-O-S. It means to be separated, to be set apart. Therefore, what Peter is saying to you and me, if we are a holy nation, we are a people who are set apart to serve and to reign with God. That's our call. That's your call and my call out of life. Here's the problem, I think. I'm trying to figure out why have we fallen short. Well, I think the problem is pride sometimes, uh, ego sometimes. But I think the biggest problem is there's a cost. You see, many churches will tell you, you come to Christ, everything's going to be fine. You, you, all your sins are forgiven, that's true. And, and, and your life will be a bed of roses, that's false. That's not true. No, no, there is a cost 
in following Jesus Christ. And you and I need to know that. We need to walk into this area, this arena, as a believer in Jesus Christ, realizing that it's going to cost me something. Am I willing to pay the price for it? You need to ask yourself that. I've already gone through that in my own heart. I know the answer. The answer is yes. He says in Luke chapter 9, Jesus speaking, verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. Listen, he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross once in a while and follow... No, wait, that's not right. That is not exactly what it says. He's saying, if you want to come after me, you deny yourself, you take up your cross daily... And you follow me. Where? I'll follow you, Lord. Where? He didn't tell Abram. He's not going to tell you or me either. He just wants to know, are you willing to follow him? Whatever the cost, are you willing to follow him? When things become a little bumpy, are you willing to follow him? Then take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. You see, it's so easy for us as believers because there's so many churches out there to pull the ripcord and get out of this church because floating, floating down, they, they hurt me. Where? How? Figure it out. Solve it. Make it work. We're family. Now, I did get personal. Talk to us as a church. This is, a, this is our call in life to, to be a, a group of people who are madly in love with each other even in the midst of any difficulties but there's going to be a cost to you following Christ there always is there always will be listen to what he says further in verse 24 he says whoever wishes to save his life will lose it now that makes so much sense to me I don't know if it does to you but way back when when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior what I was holding on to this was uh, 41 or 2 years ago now What I was holding on to more than anything else was my ability to play sports. I wanted to be a big league baseball player. I was holding on to that with all my life. And I was living a life in Hawaii that uh, I didn't want to trade with anybody else. It was fun. Sin was fun, honestly. It was. I know preachers will tell you, boy, sin's terrible. You just run from it. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Run from it. But it was fun. I'll guarantee you. If those guys that said that lived with me in Hawaii, they wouldn't have been preaching so hard how terrible it is. It was fun, but it was taking me straight to hell. It was taking me straight to hell. And so I decided to, to save, to lose my life. That's what it says in the next part of this verse 24. Whoever loses his life for my sake, says the Lord, he's the one who's going to save it. And I can tell you, by the grace of God, my life has been saved because of that. Not so much salvation, heaven, but saved because of the people I know now the people I love now, being a part of this, the church, getting to know you a little bit, and, 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 and having this wonderful fellowship that we have with one another, and just loving one another. It goes on to say in verse 25, what, what person, what is a person profited if they gain the whole world and lose or forfeit their soul? What's that profited? That's just a cost. There's a cost at following Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 26 of these these few verses, whoever is ashamed of me and my word, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He, the Son of Man, comes into His glory. We are alive today. Our purpose of living today 
is to be a holy nation. That is to be a people set apart for our God. Are you willing to pay that price? That's a big price. I'm not going to make that decision for you. I've made it for me. I'm willing. And it's not been easy at every turn. But I'm willing. I want to come after my Lord. I want to deny myself as much as I can. I want to take up my cross daily and follow Him. And I want to lose my life for His sake. What would it be profited if I didn't, if I gained this whole world and yet forfeited my soul? I've weighed it, the cost. I, I, it falls way short. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a people set apart for my Lord. And so what do we see? There's more, by the way. We see we're a chosen race of people, chosen for a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into light. We are royal priests. That means we are, we are called to not only serve the Lord, but to reign with Him. Have the authority that has been given to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And we are to be a holy nation, therefore. We are to be a people who are set apart for the cause of Jesus Christ. But also, look at verse 9. It gets better. We are a people for God's own possession. Can you even imagine that? I can't. I can't. Long ago in Mount Sinai, God promised the Israelites this. He says, if you will obey my voice, and if you will keep my covenant, I said 19.5, Exodus 19.5, if I didn't, forgive me, Exodus 19.5. If you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people. Get this, he says, for all the earth is mine. Enough power for you? All of it is His. All of it. And we're, we're, co- we're joint heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ in this possession of this earth in which we live. Yeah, we've given up so much as believers because of pride. Sad. The Greek term for possession, when he says, you will be a, a, a people for my own possession, the, the word is P-E-R-I-P-O-I. E-S-I-S in the Greek. It means to purchase or to acquire by a price. You know where this is going. We belong to God because He bought you and me with a, an amazing price. First Peter, we studied a few weeks ago in First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let me refresh your memory. Peter said, you and I, we've not been redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. In other words, someone didn't pay for your salvation. Can't. No, he says in verse 9, you and I were redeemed or we were bought with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. We were bought by the blood of Christ. Man. You go into Thanksgiving, think about that a little bit. Think about why you and I need to be thankful. You and I have been bought by, a, by our Savior. He shed His blood for you and for me. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Look for the blessed hope, he says, the appearing of the glory of our great God. No, he says, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That in and of itself is a message. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us, our God and Savior did. He redeemed us, Paul writes, from every lawless deed to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's what you and I are. We are a people for God's possession. We need to live like it. So we see we are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So what does he do? He calls us, verse 9, out of darkness into his most marvelous light. Now, Scripture teaches throughout history, mankind has been faced with two kinds of darkness. When you read of darkness in Scripture, it's, it's either intellectual darkness, they, they don't know, they're just ignorant of the truth, or moral darkness. And that means they are... Uh, the inability to see and do what is right. In other words, to know the difference between good and evil. And Peter is talking here in verse 9 about this moral darkness, which is a spiritual darkness where a person is trapped within the state of sin and evil, wondering how to get out from under it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man, that talks about someone who has not accepted Christ, just a, an unbeliever, they do not, Paul writes, accept the things of the Spirit of God because these things are foolishness to them. They can't understand them. I get it. If you try to share Christ with someone who has not yet come to the Lord and, and has no background in Scripture to try to explain the things of God to them, they think that you and I are fools. That you, You've come to church on a, on a wonderful Sunday morning when you could have been resting in. What are you doing here? You're fools. You mean to say you've, you've staked your life in these words? This is all outdated, they would say. These things are foolishness to them. They can't comprehend what you and I understand. And so what we need to be is we need to proclaim the excellencies of our God who, who's taken us out of this darkness into light. On the positive side of verse 9, when a person accepts Christ, that, then they then they are moving into God's most spiritual light. That's what you and I have flowing through our veins. Paul expresses it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It can't be said any better. Paul says, God rescued you from the domain of darkness, that spiritual darkness, and he transferred you into the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, the light of his beloved Son." That's where you and I live today. That's where we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Now let's get to verse 10. That's verse 9. Verse 9 will tell you and me very clearly that we are a chosen race of people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation of people for God's own possession who have been called out of darkness into light. Now, with our coming to Christ, the Lord shows His compassion that He pours out upon every one of us that come and trust in Him. He says in verse 10, For you once were not a people. Last week on Saturday night, I started to read verse 10 and I couldn't. It, 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 it was a, I don't know what exactly it was, except that I just felt that God was all over me. By that I meant, I, I say that meaning I felt so full of the Spirit of God. I mean, I couldn't read these words because I relate to verse 10. Verse 10 is, is, is I get it. 
I once was not a person, but now I am. Doubt that it says, not one day you might become, but right now you are a person of God. Once you weren't, but you come to Christ right now, you are a person of God. Once, it says, you had not received mercy, but now, meaning right now, you've received the mercy of God. Peter applied to the church, especially us as Gentiles, those who are, are, are non-Jewish people here, what, what is said in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. God is speaking, I will sow for myself in the land, I will have compassion on her, meaning Israel. And then he says, who have not obtained compassion... I will say to those who are not my people, meaning the Gentiles as well, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Can you say that? Can you say he is your God? I pray you have. Then God says through Peter the most amazing words, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is synonymous with compassion. It involves God's sympathy upon someone who is a sinner filled with the misery of their sin, filled with the hopelessness of how do I turn from it? And some turn to alcohol or drugs or, or whatever. We want to tell them about the excellencies of our Lord. Proclaim that. Give them that to fall back on. Our God withholds from everyone the just punishment for their sin. Here's where I think the world is in its problem area. There are two kinds of divine mercy. Two kinds. Only two. First, there is God's, what, well, let's just call it, general mercy. He pours it out upon this world. In Psalms 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to everyone. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Sinner or saint, doesn't matter. But let me tell you, I think this reads a little more clearly. In the New Testament, in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 45, it says, God causes the sun, not, not his son, the sun, the sun, the, the physical sun itself, to rise on the evil as well as the good. He sends rain upon the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And so when we wake up every morning, everybody has sensed that everything's fine, everything's in order. The sun's up, the, the rain will fall, everything is good, and it falls on me even though I might not be what that pastor says I ought to be, a Christian. God blesses me. He knows and loves me. Really? That's, that's an ignorance. To the, that's a, that is called a, a, a darkness, and an ignorance to what the Word of God says. Yeah, he loves you with all of his heart. He went to the cross and he died for you. Your part is to accept that. Anyways, so that's God's, what, what, what is called general mercy. You know, don't you, that God has every right in view of our sin for all of us. It says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He has every right to destroy every single one of us if He wants. Instead, He mercifully chooses not to unleash all of His disastrous consequences for our sin. Instead, He pours upon us His mercy, which takes us to His divine mercy. That rescues every single believer from the judgment of hell and grants every single believer 
an internal, eternal inheritance in heaven. Listen to Titus. Listen. Great verse. Paul wrote, Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds. In other words, you and I can't work it. We can't give enough money. We can't do enough good things to get salvation. No, He saved us, not on what we do, which we did in righteousness, but watch, watch now. He saved us according to His mercy, divine mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. All of this, this divine mercy that you and I receive because we know and love the Lord has been poured out into our lives. Therefore, it is why every time I pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness for my sin, I always say, Lord, have mercy on me. I want His divine mercy. It is the thing which I believe God pours out upon us in abundance. And it has made me feel, for whatever it's worth, this is just an insight to me, it it makes me feel worthy before the Lord because I know I'm not, and yet His mercy is poured out upon me. It's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling. And so what has God asking of us in return of being a chosen race of people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God, a people for God's own possession, people who have been who have been taken out of darkness and moved into his most miraculous light. What does he ask of us in return? Well, you see, that's your call. That's your call. Because of these things, these five things that Peter so beautifully laid out before us, therefore, your part, my part, is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. How are you going to do that? I don't know. I know what I do. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it fully. I, I understand what God's asked me to do. Therefore, sometimes it's, it's not difficult for me to say, no, I can't do that, because I know... That's not my gift. That's not where I would function as as well as I should. But I can do this. I can do whatever this is. I can do that for the Lord. You need to figure that out. You want to talk about being free? You want to talk about knowing and and walking in this, this, this abundant life that you have in Christ? You know, you can go to seminary and you can hear about how do you live the abundant life? Well, here's how. Read the Bible. Study what Peter says here in verses 9 and 10 and you'll understand. You don't have to pay whatever amount it costs to go to seminary and you'll have all the answers. You're a chosen race of people. God chose you for a purpose. You're a royal priest. You're to serve and to reign with Him. You're a holy nation, meaning you are a people who have been set apart for the glory of God. More than that, you are a, you are a possession. You are God's possession. You are a people for God's own possession. And you have been called out of darkness into light. Therefore, live for Him. Love Him. That's all I can know. After the service, there will be people up here that want to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you, and you haven't accepted Christ yet, don't put it off. I mean, I'm begging of you. There's no notch on my gun handle. I have no such thing. That's why I feel very uncomfortable having altar calls. I don't want people... I, I've had people say, well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have come to Christ. I said, that's not me. That's the Lord. 
That's him. He did it. I didn't. I didn't. I'm just doing what he's called me to do. I'm just proclaiming the excellencies of him in my way. This is my way. So there'll be people up here to pray for you. Just a little whatever it's worth, just an old man telling the young people what to do. Give him thanks this Thanksgiving. Sometime, some way, somehow, thank him. Thank him this Thanksgiving for whatever it is that you feel you would like to thank him for. He deserves that. He deserves you and me being thankful. Father, we want to thank you right now for <clears throat> who you are. Thank you for Peter. Boy, I've grown to really love him, Father. Thank you for that. And um, now, Father, will you bless us as we go from here? There's, We're going in many different directions and and, and many different things we've got to do. But, Father, let us, whatever it is we, we do, wherever it is we go, let us not lose sight of who you are in our own lives and who we are. The majesty that you've poured out upon us to be chosen priests. Holy nation of people set apart for you. We are your own possession, dear Father, and and you've taken us out of darkness into light. What more could we ask? Let us proclaim the excellencies of you to whomever and however we can. In Jesus' name, amen.